Hello, viewers. Hello, listeners. I'm David Garbett, the executive director of O2 Utah, welcoming you to our second ever episode of O2 and Utah. O2 and You. Uh, this is a live interview series, podcast series, where we talk about um, pressing issues related to the environment here in Utah. And in a in a wider format as well, and we about how people can get involved in making a difference in their community on issues like this, and that's why I am really excited about today's guest because she is an expert at translating <laughs> passion into uh, direct involvement and making a difference. Rebecca Hardenbrook, welcome Hi. to O2 and You. Hey, how's it going? Good. It's great having you here. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. <laughs> me too. Um, let's run through a little bit about you and then jump into a discussion because I, when we talked about having this conversation, I thought that people would be able to learn a lot from you about how, how is it that you can... Uh, see issues that you feel upset about or that you think need to be addressed and translate that into concrete steps that will make a difference. So we're not sitting around paralyzed by, um, by fear, uh, mm -hmm. overcome by um, some of those, those negative emotions that, that arise when we see things that we don't like. So really excited about having you here. Just really quickly so that our viewers know, talk a little bit about your background. We listed on our, our post for this event that you are the Director of Sustainability mm -hmm. for the uh, student organization at the University of Utah, the ASUU. Uh, you're also the founder of Unsafe U, mm -hmm. the founder of Divest U, mm -hmm. <laughs> a graduate student in mathematics at the University yes. of Utah. Mm -hmm. teaching courses yes. in mathematics <laughs> at the University of Utah. Um, I think things that this left out are, it's probably hard to keep track of all the projects that you're working on at any one time. And some things that I know of are your appearances at Fridays for the Future, mm -hmm. your involvement with the United Nations uh, and um, climate action, uh, your your participation in demonstrations and raising awareness about racial inequity in our country and policing. And uh, I think you've got, you always have a lot on your plate. Did I leave out <laughs> anything important that viewers should know in terms of projects you're working on right now? Um, I, I would say the ones that you mentioned are, are the most important projects that I'm working on. Definitely student safety. Um, that really ties in, I think, a lot to the racial justice issues that we're facing um, here in the U.S., especially on our campus at the University of Utah. You know, we have our own police department, and so all of the same conversations that are happening around the country right now and really around the world are, are happening on our campus, too. Um, and then the divestment issue, that's, that's a really big one right now for me, um, trying to get our university to divest its endowment out of fossil fuels and start reinvesting in renewable energy and sort of um, socially conscious investment areas. 
but also um, the same students who are in that group were working to build sort of a statewide coalition focused on fossil fuel divestment. And so we're working with uh, 350 right now, actually. And you spoke to Jamie last or last time. So um, it was kind of a funny like crossover. But yeah, so we're working on that right now, too. And I think those are two of the most um, pressing issues that I'm working on. Okay. Um, and thank you for the reminder that you are also a board member of O2 oh, yeah. Utah, <laughs> one of our uh, founders and has been there at the beginning mm -hmm. with us. So let's jump into that. How, uh, how do you do it? How did you go from seeing an issue like uh, lack of safety for students, at the University of Utah, to creating uh, unsafe you and to taking concrete steps to actually get changes um, there at the University of Utah, or how did you do that with Divest You, mm -hmm. any of these efforts that you've undertaken? Yeah, um, I, I think the most important thing is like allowing, for me at least, is allowing myself to, you know, kind of be angry for a second about the issue and just noting that it's there. Um, but the second thing is I always just say, okay, what's happening and who's involved with what? So like, who are the people involved and who do I need to get in contact with? Um, and the other really important thing is kind of building a coalition around you, building that support system of people who are also very concerned about that issue and who are able to put in any sort of work or um, support in any way that they can. Because if you it's really hard to make something happen on your own. Um, so it's important that you have some sort of team surrounding you um, to help you to help support you in, in the things that you want to make happen. So both with Unsafe You and with Divest You, I had friends or knew people who were interested in that issue and wanted to do something, but weren't really sure the next step to take. And so I think being open and honest about what you don't know is important because if you go into trying to solve an issue um, and, and you're being too cocky about like, oh, I, I know everything about this, right? You're always going to miss something. And um, especially for student groups and for younger people, I think it's easier for people to discount you. So just doing the research, having a group who can really figure out like all of the details about little things and start speaking the language of the issues. Um, so like for divestment, I had to do a lot of work in understanding sort of like investment economics language um, and um, being like patient with myself too, taking that time. A lot of these things, when you get started right away, sometimes it can be slow in terms of like seeing any substantial change or even getting into a room to have a, a conversation with somebody that you really want to talk to that can take like months and months. Um, so just also realizing that it's going to take some time, but, but there is a, a lot of, um, I guess I should say like, there, there's a lot of community organizing that needs to be done in advance of actually going out and starting it, like doing an action or, or writing some sort of policy brief or anything like that. You have to really build your connections up before you can do anything. So, yeah. What, that's interesting. One thing I want to ask you about, you brought up uh, this humility that you have when you approach an issue recognizing from the beginning that you may not understand the full complexity of it. Um, how do you approach the, you know, the flip side of that, which could be 
feeling like you need to be the absolute expert on the mm -hmm. issue before you can express an opinion, before you can start uh, pushing to, to make change on that. Yeah, I think it's important to note that even people who would consider themselves an expert of something are never truly an expert. Like the, the idea of somebody being 100% an expert about something is not realistic. We're always learning about things like even mathematicians, right? They might be the leading mathematician in their field, but they don't, they don't know what's, what's the next discovery that they could make, right? Otherwise, it would be boring to study that or these issues wouldn't be issues because we would, we would know everything and know how to solve them. So um, I think having that humility, but feeling prepared enough and feeling knowledgeable enough that you can speak about these issues and expand your understanding of, of the situation even further is, is what's really important. One thing I've been thinking about as I listen to you talk about taking these steps is the recognition of how po power dynamics mm -hmm. are oftentimes such a critical factor when you choose to get involved in something. And when you're trying to make change, usually you're going up against somebody who has um, a greater share of power. Mm -hmm. They don't want to relinquish it. They'll look for any argument under the sun about why that shouldn't happen. And they might couch it in, well, you know, you're too young. Mm -hmm. You'll understand this better when you have more experience like me. Oh, yeah. Or let me throw out a complicated economic theory to see if I can obfuscate what's actually happening here. Or let me try anything that I can to, to really hide the ball. And, you know, I, I feel like from my experience, and especially as I think about getting involved in things when I was younger, it was even more blatant how, uh, let's take, so you've talked about divest you, uh, utilities like Rocky Mountain Power will present people with arguments about why, you know, that's, that's so great. We're on that same page with you. We really would like to see um, clean energy in the state of Utah. But here is why we need to take the next 15 years to even start thinking about it or even start getting there. And then really obfuscate. And when it comes down to it, it's that they get to set the agenda. They have the power. They can throw anything out. How do you think about that? How do you deal with that? Because uh, I know you're encountering that all the time. You're dealing with heads of, um, you know, the flagship research institution in the state of Utah. You're mm -hmm. dealing with some pretty well-moneyed interests that don't want to see divestment. Um, how, do you, how do you approach that issue? Well, that, luckily, in a way, I don't want to say like totally luckily, because in a way, it's kind of unfortunate, but that the issue of divestment has been around for so long. So usually a lot of the arguments that one would be encountered with, they've already been said before a million times. And there's tons of knowledge that we can gain from other activists and different advocates for divestment and renewables over fossil fuels, um, just speaking about this specific issue, that I can find and Sometimes even people have it laid out like, here's an argument you might be met, met with, here's like how to counteract that. And so with every issue, if I'm going into a meeting or going into some sort of discussion, um, it's really important for me and my group, whoever I'm with, that we have prepared sort of, um, I guess, the comebacks <laughs> to, to mm -hmm. various arguments that we would predict. So we'll like go through an outline 
okay, when we bring this up, what is the, what are the most likely responses that we'll get? And how can we um, come back at that with reasons for how, um, for why what we're pushing for is correct. And sometimes what they're saying is valid, right? Like for um, fossil fuel divestment, a lot of the times people talk about jobs and how are we going to pay for, or how are we going to make sure that people have jobs who are being pushed out of the fossil fuel sector? And I think it's really important to say, you know what, jobs are really important. There are a lot of people who are employed in those areas, um, but these jobs aren't sustainable, right? So how can, how can we say that this is the empathetic um, way to go when we know that those people are going to lose jobs in some finite period of time um, and those towns like coal towns are just going to be economically in despair when coal goes out of fashion um, so we need to start thinking about sustainable job markets which means sustainable tech or anything like that with student safety for example I mean one thing we've been talking about in unsafe you we've been pushing since June is for the abolition of our police department on campus um, and so um, with that conversation, and this isn't unique to us, right? This has definitely been talked about for years and years and years, um, really kind of since, I guess, the, the very first police department was formed in this country. But um, with that comes a lot of questions of, well, how are you going to ensure students are safe in XYZ scenario? Um, and and um, how are you going to make sure that um, there's somebody to call? Like, who would you call in this instance? And so just having plans already outlined, um, like definitely it's important to have, see what's wrong and see what needs to change with that, but also having sort of a, a replacement or, um, or something alternative to what you're saying to replace or get rid of is important. Because usually that's, that's kind of the, the first thing is, oh, well, you want this to go away, but you don't have a replacement. You don't have any solutions to offer. So being kind of solution oriented um, and on top of that, I think something that's super, super crucial, especially in this state, um, well, really everywhere, but definitely in Utah, I've noticed it more, is uh, meeting people where they're at and kind of figuring out what are their priorities? Mm -hmm. Like, is it, are they economically driven? Are they a rural farmer living in San Juan County? And like, how do you speak to the issues that most affect them um, in order to kind of get them on your side? And also recognizing that in that process, you're not going to get them on your side within an hour conversation, right? Or even like even within a day, right? It might take, again, months or maybe a couple years of building that relationship until they fully trust you. So expediting that with just coming up front to them about what they're concerned about and how to support their struggle um, while also figuring out how that ties into what you see as being kind of the solution is really important. I want to follow up with you a little bit, Rebecca, on this power dynamic, because uh, I think oftentimes this is one of the pitfalls mm -hmm. or uh, one of the impediments and hurdles that is thrown up uh, to prevent activism. And uh, I mean, part of the theme that I heard from you is you do your homework mm -hmm. before you, you go to these meetings. Um, we've talked a little bit how you can't, you can't know everything. So there's some homework, but there's also an acknowledgement coming in that you're there to listen and to, um, to engage in a dialogue mm -hmm. with the, the person that you're trying to push that change. Beyond those things, though, do you think about that consciously? Do you, how do you, you deal with that? Because 
again, I, I remember, especially when I was younger, not that this necessarily changes, but it's, it felt like oftentimes when I was engaged in um, public comment for uh, in different environmental issues, so often you just see this dismissiveness that was so easy to read as you're young, you don't know what you're talking about. And I think those in power can often use age, probably could use gender, ethnicity, any of these things where there can be those subtle cues that, you know, we're the ones with power and kind of use that to try and discourage. Do you think about that at all beyond oh, yeah. the, the homework issue and how do you yeah. deal with it? Yeah, I definitely think about it a lot. I mean, as at the university, it's, it's a little tricky because usually the first thing I like say in response to kind of that um, gap in like in power, whether it's kind of how older people see younger people or um, whatever, um, what I usually say is, well, then that means that we need a change of who's in office. So that means that we need to get people in office and not to push like OT's agenda so much or even like Sunrise Movement, I'm involved with them, but getting young people, getting um, whoever can advocate for these groups. So it's important, like you want to have a young person in office maybe to speak on young people's issues or the urgency of these issues, but you also want to make sure you have a young person who is willing to advocate for all of the right issues, right? You don't want to just have a young person to have a young person. You want to have a young person who understands and will fight for those issues. At the university, um, you know, students are pushing for the resignation of our president right now. Mm. And so when, if that were to happen this year, like in the interim period, what we would want to see, right, is more student participation. You want to see more students at the table and not just at the table and like, uh, call periods. You want to see students at all tables on campus that are decision-making tables. Um, it's it's really important, I think, um, at this time, especially with the urgency of so many issues and the criticality of so many issues and how they're facing people um, directly, is to make sure that the people who are most affected are the ones who are at the table making decisions with others, not just trust that people will represent you um, by sending them emails and things. It's important to do that. It's important to send emails and make calls and send letters. But it's also important that we make sure that people are directly um, represented in, in whatever that power role is. Um, so usually what I end up pushing for is like to have more students, at, for example, at the U, have more mm -hmm. students on boards that aren't just advisory boards, but are like executive boards or executive commissions. Um, uh, for example, this year, we have a climate change task force at the U, and we pushed for one more student rather than just two students to be on the board on that task force. Um, or in the uh, Academic Senate ad hoc committee on divestment and strategic reinvestment, when I proposed that to the Academic Senate, I made sure that there were three students out of three um, spots for the 11 voting members were students. Um, rather than just one, which is, yeah. has kind of been sort of like the regular, the regular number. So um, usually just increasing that number slowly over time and making sure that um, there's, there's actual student participation in making decisions rather than just trusting your voice will be heard in like an hour long question session. Crafty. So you're thinking about <laughs> who, 
who's making the decisions, who holds that power, and how mm-hmm. can we change their composition to actually reflect uh, who they're serving. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, there's some things that are harder to do that with, right? Like the board of trustees at a university, it's difficult to mm-hmm. you know, get a young person on that board. But there's other ways that you can work through that. Oh, another thing that I was going to say to this, I'm glad I just remembered, is it's important to, like, you can have students on a board, but usually they're going to be outnumbered. It's mm-hmm. really important to also get community support on things. So the U is a public university. Mm-hmm. Again, like you said, the flagship university of our state. And so we have a lot of people, a lot of alumni. We have a lot of supporters of the U, either research or maybe the football team or another sports team um, who do care about like student issues on campus hmm. and what, what students need on campus. And so kind of um, galvanizing them together um, to come support you on, on that issue is really important too. That takes a lot of work, but it's really worth doing that. Okay, cool. You're doing all this work. How do you not get overwhelmed? <laughs> I try to find things that I can do um, that will kind of relieve that stress. So one thing I've really gotten into is like watching anime with my housemates. <laughs> That's been really helpful. I think it's really important to kind of take that time for yourself and figure out whatever that is. Like hiking, hiking's a big thing. Right now it's not so easy because it's so hot, but um, just figuring out kind of whatever that is. I know for a lot of people that is like getting back into nature. Um, I just went for a walk the other week with my friend in the International Peace Gardens and that helped a lot to kind of center myself and not feel so like up high and stressed out about all the things that I need to do. Um, Like I said too, and I can't really stress the importance of this enough, is really building a group around you that can alleviate some of the work that you need to do. Um, So like you mentioned, I tend to be very involved with a lot of things at once. And so kind of keeping track of what I need to do is a little difficult. And so some of my friends from time to time will text me to remind me that I need to do this thing or um, I can text them and ask them if they can take care of sending an email or something like that. Um, That's really, really important because it's impossible once you get to start doing these large scale actions or these um, really involved start working on these really involved issues to start tackling it by yourself. And so um, I, I think that's really critical or else you will get burnt out. Even Rebecca Hardenbrook needs friends oh, yeah. to stay on track. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Especially me. <laughs> yeah. Well, how about the, I mean, this is a bit related, but uh, we've talked about not getting overwhelmed. Uh, is it the same advice for not being burnt out or feeling like, I've been at this for months. I've been at this for a year and I haven't seen the change that I want. Um, How do you feel about that issue? How do you keep from just throwing in the towel and saying, this is, I give up? Yeah, I think it's important to, again, kind of refer back to history and see like how long it's taken things to change Mm -hmm. for a lot of the issues, especially similar issues for environmental things. You know, these a lot of times these fights um, have been going on for decades. And so not beating yourself up over not being able to make some substantial change within a year is really important. Um, Also setting sort of realistic goals for yourself. I think 
I tend to be out of all of my friends in different groups. I tend to be the person that's like, we can do this in three months. Like there's not going to be a problem and, uh -huh. and being willing to kind of hear like, okay, like maybe we should extend that, that goal to like a, a two year goal. Um, but still keep pushing as if we were trying to get it done within those three months, but kind of being aware of that is really important. Um, so are you, yeah. are you the voice that's there saying we should just be positive? Is that enough? <laughs> no, I definitely don't think so. I think, I think there's a big difference between being like um, continuously positive and being optimistic. So um, I think being too positive can actually take away from what you're trying to do. But you want to be hopeful and you want to be optimistic that change can be made or else like there's no way that you're going to continue being in the fight. Um, but you don't want to be overwhelmingly positive to where um, you start to kind of forget about the bigger issue and once you make like a small impact you're like oh well, I finished it I'm done um, when really your bigger goal was um, something that's going to take more time mm. and so allowing yourself to be angry about things is really important but also learning how to like rein in that anger to make progress, whatever that reining in means, right? Maybe reining in means being on the streets and being vocal, but maybe reining in also means being at a board or um, talking to your Congress person about um, some issue and kind of pestering them over and over and over again. So that's interesting. I sometimes find that balance hard uh, of being positive, being optimistic, because Mm -hmm. I think all of us, when we engage in activism, there is implicitly a, a faith mm -hmm. that things can change. And uh, that sometimes can be a very difficult faith to have, but it is there. Coupled with watching things that can be really sad and mm -hmm. really impactful and also allowing yourself that space to understand that, yeah, we should. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be angry. Uh, those are motivators in the same way that our faith and optimism are. Juggling those is, it always feels like a struggle. Uh, but yeah, I think giving in to only one is probably a recipe for, for being burned out or exiting. Yeah, I agree. What do you have, I guess last question for you on, on this topic is any specific advice for um, younger viewers or listeners that want to get engaged? I think just not being intimidated by, especially young, young people. Like if you're in high school or in middle school, even like, and you're wanting to get involved in these issues, um, like you shouldn't feel at all intimidated by the adults or like the older folks who are working on these issues who maybe are on like the other side of the of your sort of thought process of an issue, right? A lot of times um, you might find that you know maybe more than those people do about that issue or um, maybe you have um, a, a life experience that is more attuned to talking about that issue in the first place. So just being aware of your own power. And then I think a big thing is um, educating yourself is a continuous process. So um, when I was 18, I thought that I kind of had everything figured out and I like knew a lot about these issues that I was concerned about. But 
even just in the past six years since then, like I've, I've learned so much and continue to learn a lot every day. Um, and so reading and watching and um, listening to different uh, voices on these issues is super critical. So that, that self-education is like a never ending process. So keeping up with that. And the third thing is don't let anyone silence you, right? Like your voice is really important, especially right now we're in like a really critical time on a lot of issues. And so it's important to be loud. It's important to get your voice out there and it's important to be active because we really need all young people to step up on these issues and, and start making a change together. So, yeah. I'm reminded of that fable, the emperor has no clothes. The one that called <laughs> out the emperor was, was the kid. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I've certainly seen that those in power and adults oftentimes know that younger generations represent the conscience yep. of a community and that they haven't been inured like some of the adults to situations that really aren't tenable and shouldn't persist that the rest of us have said like, yeah, I'm used to this. It's, you know, I've been confronted with it for 10, 20 years. And to hear that voice, there is real power in it. Um, even if, like I said, those in power will say, well, if you only had experience, you'd understand. Uh, I agree with you. There is a lot of power mm -hmm. in your voice and in, in calling out what you see. So certainly don't back away from, from stepping up because we need those, voice, those, those voices um, in many different issues. We need them in climate, for sure. We need them in so many things. If yeah. any of our listeners or viewers want to get involved in anything you're working on, uh, what can, what, the sh what, what should they do? Um, so they can just message me, I guess, um, on here. It's Rebecca Hardenbrook. You can just message me on Facebook. Um, I can also include, like, my email. They can email me, for sure, and I'll respond. I can share that on the discussion page for this um, for this call okay um but yeah there's especially if there's students like at the u we need you um if you're a community member who just kind of wants to know more about what's going on i can push you in a direction or take you into one of my groups um but yeah just reaching out is a, is a big thing well thank you i just wanted to recap really quickly some of the themes that i heard from you that for me were really key about taking interest and passion to actual mm -hmm. action and that was Get a get a small you know a small group, but some other people together with you to get involved. Mm -hmm. Do some homework. Don't feel like you have to know everything. Start showing up, and also think about when you're when you're participating in these events. Where are decisions being made? What are the motivating factors that people have, or the ways that you can address some of those motivating factors? Can you change the context? or who the decision makers are to get better outcomes. Um, mm -hmm. Rebecca, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Those who are listening, uh, viewing, if you want to check us out, uh, o2utah.org. Again, uh, o2utah.org. We are trying to change environmental outcomes in the state of Utah. We're trying to take action on climate, uh, clean up our, our terrible air quality, protect public lands, fight for environmental justice by changing who those decision makers are, getting involved directly in elections. And we'd love to have your support. So go to our website to check out 
what we're doing. And of course, uh, I think the last thing I would say for people that want to be involved is donations always help as well. And again, go to o2utah.org and see how you can donate so that we can uh, make this work happen. Rebecca, thank you very much. Listeners, viewers, thank you. We'll see you again in two weeks.